This whole life after death stuff, is it real? Is it fictional? Is it mythical? Is it tangible? Are heaven and hell real places, or are they just places that people authority over you when you were a kid made up to manipulate you into behaving well? You don't behave, you're going to hell. You don't behave. Or if you do enough good, heaven's our home. It's amazing. Uh, And if you don't believe me, just ask. Ask people you work with, ask people at the grocery store, ask people at the ball field. If they think everybody goes to heaven, what you're going to hear is, well, sure. Why not? I mean, we're all basically, we do bad things, but we're all basically good, aren't we? We're all basically entitled to to heaven, aren't we? I mean, everybody's, maybe there are degrees in heaven, there are stages in heaven, but we're all going to go, aren't we? Isn't that the, the assumption? And that is the assumption. Ask people and you'll find out that, that they, they believe that regardless of relationship with Christ, regardless of, of uh, much of anything else. And sadly, there is still this mentality in our culture and there's still this mentality, I would submit to you in church after church after church, that God still has this goodness scale somewhere. And if as long as the good outweighs the bad, we do more good than bad, heaven's our home. If the bad outweighs the good, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Because if hell is real, I don't want to experience that. So there's this good, and that's totally mythical. God doesn't work on the goodness scale. Now, should we do good because we know him? Sure, James talks about that. But there is no goodness scale. There's mercy, and there's grace. But there's also judgment. And at, the, at judgment, um, we're going to see the reality of heaven and hell being real places. We don't have time for a lot today, but I want us to look at a couple of a couple of examples and instances where the scripture speaks about hell and speaks about heaven. The first is in Second Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 to 9 together. Follow along with me if you will. Second Peter 2 verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then God knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteousness for punishment in the day of judgment. If God did not spare angels, he says, but sent them to hell. Now, what he's speaking of here in Second Peter is a pre-creation event where Lucifer and his angels were cast out of heaven because they declared themselves, or he declared himself, to have equal authority with God. And God cast them out. This recorded in Isaiah chapter 14. Listen to these verses together. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. It's talking about Lucifer. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Hell was intended originally for his angels. It was never intended for us. And that's the first point I want to get across to you. Hell was never intended for us. However, at creation and at the fall of man, at man's and woman's fall in the garden, hell became a reality for those of us who die without Christ. Now, we're going to see that unfold here in just a moment. 
but as, as God created this hell for, for, for Satan and his, for, for his angels, or for his demons, rather, uh, former angels, if that were the case, and it weren't designed for man initially, but he knew man would fall, then what does that say about the preparation of the mind of God? To think beforehand that not only did he know the, that Lucifer would betray him, sure, did he know that man would fall in the garden? Sure. So was hell a reality even before creation existed for man? Sure it was, but that was never God's intent. God's intent was for man to be obedient. And, and giving, as I, as I often have said, giving man the choice in the garden was the most dangerous decision God ever made. In doing so, he basically stepped away and said, it's on you. Your eternity is on you, not on me. And man, as we know, blew it, and we have been ever since. But this, this was, he, he, here he says here in, in, uh, in this passage of Second Peter, cast into outer darkness, the place of darkness is what hell is referred to, cast into hell. Now, after the fall of man in Genesis 2, hell, is, hell as, I, as I said, is going to have more inhabitants. But Matthew 8 describes this place of darkness as not only a place where it's, where it's darkness, but where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the, on the cross, three hours into Jesus. The term darkness here in first in Second Peter is the same kind of darkness that we saw on the cross, three hours into Jesus' death on the cross. Meaning outer darkness, or, or in essence, uh, in, the, in the Greek, in original Greek, utter darkness. Meaning, you can't see your hand in front of your face dark. Not that things are dim, not, not that the, it's, it's like nighttime and where there's you know, enough, enough moonlighting and, and starlight to light, light your way a little bit. You can't see hand in front of your face. Now, can you imagine, even if, even if there were no gnashing of teeth, even if we'll look at the fire in a minute. Isn't there fire in hell? Yes, there's fire in hell. We're getting there. Be patient. But it's the place he describes, first of all, of darkness and of gnashing of teeth, of torment. And because that's the case, can you imagine, take, take the fire out of the picture, take the torment, the gnashing of teeth, the weeping, the separation from God, the separation from the loved ones. Take that out of the picture. Can you imagine being in utter darkness, totally dark, not knowing where to go, what to do, what lays ahead of your next step? That's eternity. That's, that's what he describes here as hell. And so there's the weaving and gnashing, weaving and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 8. There is this, there's, there's this utter and outer darkness here, eternal darkness, <clears throat> and a place of eternal suffering. But it was, it was never intended for us. Never intended for us. Hell is the choice of man. It's not the, it's not the result of a mean God. It's not the result of a God that says, I want to get you. It's the choice the man makes in rejecting God. Started in the garden, has been going ever since. Secondly, not only was hell never intended for us, hell is a place of torment. Turn to, turn to uh, if you will, to, to Luke's gospel, chapter 16. And I want you to see some verses here that uh, point to this place of torment. Now, some theologians and some, some Bible scholars would have you believe that this story of the rich man and Lazarus is another one of the parables. And it is parabolic in the sense that it is story. But it is story, I believe, about literal truth. It is story that Jesus is sharing to give these folks a glimpse into what's going on. Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke uh, chapter 16. Look with me in verses 22 to 24. He says here that the time came when the beggar died. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. Watch this. Because I am in agony in this fire. I am in agony in this fire. In hell, 
where he was in torment, he says in this passage. Uh, torment from what? Verse 24 tells us, torment from the fire. Now, this is not a, and I was going to bring a fire demonstration for you, and I thought that, you know, kids would really like it. It's cool, fire in church. I was going to bring a fire, fire to, to, to bur- basically burn up a piece of newspaper or something to show you that when it's burned up, the fire goes out. There's a little smoke left, but the fire goes out. Once, once what is burned, is cons- once what is flammable is consumed, the fire goes out. It does the same thing at your house and your fireplace. It's a different, totally, totally different kind of fire. This is here an all-consuming fire he talks about in Revelation. A fire that never goes out, a fire that, that never, it, what it is consuming and what it is burning, burning up is never consumed and never totally burned up. Can you imagine that? An all-consuming, never-extinguishing fire is what he's talking about. Well, that is, that is this place called hell. It is a place of outer darkness. It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place here, Luke says, of torment because I'm in this flame. I'm in this fire that never dies. Um, sounds inviting, doesn't it? Um, that's, that's the place. That's this picture of hell, and I want you to get the reality of that. One of the reasons I want you to get the reality of that, we'll talk more about this in just a moment, is if that applies to you, friend, you need to come to Christ today. If it doesn't apply to you, apply to you, but applies to family members and friends you know, the consequences of dying without him are serious. And not only are they serious, they're eternal. This is eternal darkness. It didn't last for a week. This is eternal torment. It's eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's eternal flame. It didn't last for a week. It didn't last for 30 days. This goes on forever, he, sh- he shares here with us. So uh, it's interesting, though, that, that the Bible, but Jesus, get this, the Bible says more about heaven than it says about hell overall. But Jesus himself says far more about hell than he does about heaven. One of these examples here in Luke. Why do you think that's so? Why do you think that's so? I would submit to you it's to warn us that it is real. Hell is a real place. It's to warn us that it is eternal. It will last forever. It is to warn us that it's terrible. And it is to warn us that it's avoidable. I believe he speaks to that, to these issues in the New Testament to say, listen, this is serious stuff. It's eternal stuff. It's a, the, the consequences of dying without Christ are eternal, but they're altogether avoidable as well. Hell is a real place. I want you to get that today. If you, if you leave with nothing else, move beyond mythology. Move beyond the sense that hell is metaphor. That, that, that those that, that have shared this with you over the years, they're, they're using hell metaphorically as a bad place or as a place of separation. Yes, it's a bad place and it's a place of separation, but it's also a real place. It's a real location and it's eternal. It's, it's lasting. It's forever. Hell was never intended for us. It's a place of torment. There's some truth here about heaven as well. Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 4. Heaven is, first of all, is an eternal home. Heaven is an eternal home. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 16, and we'll read through a few verses of, of into chapter 5. He says here, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but we to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He describes here an eternal house, this heaven. Now, Paul is not talking here about a literal house, but about the embodiment of this, this, this glorified body. We looked at that last week. This glorified state that we're in, physically speaking and spiritually speaking, these tents that we'll spend eternity in. Uh, these are not physical bodies, you understand, but spiritual ones. Will they be visible and, 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 and recognizable? Visible, yes. Recognizable, I don't know. Because the, these are glorified spiritual states. You, 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 as we looked at last week, Jesus shows up in this room with the disciples after the resurrection. Here, and they don't even recognize he's here. We saw that they, they looked, at, as the scripture tells us, they looked at him as a ghost. They thought, who is this? What is this? His glorified state was so different and so glorious that they didn't recognize even who he was. And they had walked three years with this guy every day. Our glorified state will be totally different, I believe, than the state you and I are in today. I'm thankful for that looking around the room. It's going to be totally different than the state you and I are in and the bodies we, we, we live in. In fact, uh, knowing this should liberate you from, 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 please don't hear me say, you know, go out and abuse your body. That's not what I'm saying. But, but, but knowing this should liberate you from the consumption. I believe our, our culture, and, and, and don't take, please don't take this the wrong way if you're a work, workout freak. Um, if you're a workout freak, keep working out. You know, don't, don't stop on my account. But I believe our, consul- our culture is consumed with the flesh. Our cultures, many in our culture, are consumed with having the perfect look, having the right weight, having the right proportion, having the six-pack, having the, having the tight... To, to the extent that we spend money, dollar after dollar after dollar, the gym memberships are... are they amaze me, the, the gym memberships people have and how much they pay for them. And nothing evil about gym memberships now. Don't, 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 don't take this too extreme. I'm just saying there's so much focus on the physical with us and off of the spiritual that if we could look through an eternal lens and see the spiritual, see the glorified state, see the fact that regardless of what we do, and it is true, don't, as I say, don't use this as a license to abuse your flesh, but regardless of what we do, the glorified state's going to be perfect. It's going to be complete. It's going to be unlike anything you've ever experienced before. So these, these, these bodies, these glo- this glorified house that he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians, he said that's what we're longing for. The, the, the bodies that are perfect, the bodies that don't have cancer anymore, the bodies that aren't that aren't fat like your pastor anymore. The bodies that the bodies that are healthy. The bodies that are that we were intended for. In fact, the bodies he gave Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell, perfect, totally flawless. And so these this glorified state, the spiritual state. We looked at last week how the spirit is the life giver. Remember that the, the, the spirit is is the is the very one who will consume and overtake these glorified bodies. There will there'll be no longer no focus on the flesh. Now. Next week, we're going to look at uh, really some cool stuff about the new heaven and the new earth. This earth is going to totally burn up, and God's going to do a brand new one. We're going to look at the reasons for that, the, how, the, the inhabitation of that, and what that's going to look like. And it's, it's exciting stuff. So plan to be here and invite your friends. But this, this eternal home is, he's speaking here, not necessarily in, in reference to a place where we reside, but a place where our spirit resides, these, the, the glorified state of our body. So... It's not physical. You ever go back to the go back to the house you grew up in? Now that you're an adult, maybe you're still in the house you grew up in. I don't know. But if you, if you ever go back to the house you grew up in, you drive by the street, or you may walk up on the porch, or you may be bold enough to knock on the door and say, "Hey, I grew up here. Can I come in and look around? Just kind of reminisce a little bit." I know some folks who've done that, and <clears throat> it's never the same, is it? I mean, it's never like you remember it. Things are smaller. 
than they were when you grew up. Things are, things are you, you, you go back and you look at this door and this, this opening and this stain or, the, or this mark on the door where you measured how you, and it's, it's never the same. It's, it's the, the memories of, our, of that old place are never the same. They, they're, they're far greater than the reality of that old place. We walk back in the reality of that old place and it, I've got great memories of this, <laughs> really. And so it, it, it's usually always a letdown. The glorified house, the glorified tent, the glorified body is not that. In fact, we'll, there'll, there'll be, I've had several people ask me over the years, what do you think relationships will be like in heaven, will be like in eternity? Do you think we'll recognize each other? Do you think we'll know each other? That's two questions. I think we'll know each other. I don't know that we'll recognize each other as we were on earth because this glorified state was unrecognizable to the disciples as Jesus, the very one they loved and longed for and walked with, walked into the room. They didn't even know who he was. And so I'm, I'm assuming that these glorified bodies you and I will have will look nothing like ours now. But in doing so, if we can learn, to, if we can learn even here and now to look through and walk with an eternal lens, and I say this often, if we can look through, through, through this life through an eternal lens, we'll see and reprioritize ourselves and our time and our energies and the consumption with, with, with the here and the now and the things we can touch. It'll change our perspective. If we can see already the glorified state before we get there, it'll cause us to long for the glorified state to the extent that our stories will be different. Our conversations will be different. Our motives will be different. What we do with money will be different. Relationships will be different. Marriages, <clears throat> marriages will be different. Parenting is different. Why? Because we are longing for and know that we are destined for that glorified place in that glorified tent that, that looks nothing like this one. And our longing for that causes us to think in terms of what is coming, not what is now. Now, is what is now the reality of where we live? Sure it is. But it doesn't confine us. It doesn't hold us back, or at least it shouldn't. We can learn to look through an eternal lens. That home, that, 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 that childhood house that you, you revisit <clears throat> is never the same when you go back because home is no longer there. That's just a house. Home's where your family is. Home's where your stuff is, if you know where, really, where to get to things. And it's, it's this idea of, of he's saying here that you'll carry that sense of home with you for all eternity. The, the, the glorified home, the glorified house, the glorified tent that you have, you'll carry that with you for all eternity. That'll be something that you will wear and embrace, and, and it'll be who you are for all of eternity. Heaven is an eternal home. Finally, turn to Philippians, <clears throat> if you will. And I want you to see here in Philippians chapter 3, this idea that heaven is where our identity lies. Uh, and in, in these verses in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to see that our citizenship is there. Philippians chapter 3, 17 to 21. Follow along. We join together, he says, in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have seen us model, us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I, as, often, uh, as I often have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind, watch this, is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will, watch this, transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Our citizenship, he says here in this passage, is in heaven. That's where our identity should lie. That's where the efforts of, of, of all of our lives should lie. You and I 
are, and, and this isn't evil or sinful, but you and I are defined oftentimes by what we do. Uh, we're defined by the nature of our vocation. She is this, he is this, Rob is a, is a coach, and, and, and uh, Gene is a retired phone guy, and, and Beth works at, in administration at UT. We're defined by what we do, and, it's, and in some cases, that is our earthly identity seen through the light, through the lens of people here on earth. What he says here, though, is if you can begin even now and even here to see your citizenship, to see your identity as someone from someplace else, as someone from an eternal home, he says you'll begin to see that this idea of our citizenship has everything to do with who we are and how we live. Now, our citizenship here, he says in verse 20, is tied to a Savior. It's not tied to a place or tied to a location or tied to a vocation. It's tied to a person. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, verse 20, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. So our citizenship is tied to and linked to him, not to what we've done, not to who we are, not to whose children we are, not to our vocation, not to what we own or what we possess, but tied to a person saying that heaven is linked to your relationship to Christ. It's not as a result of some, some level of goodness, not as a result of some, some walk of, that's better than it used to be or having more success than more failure, more good than bad. He says it's tied to a person. It's tied to a relationship. Your citizenship there is tied to... to there, there's nothing wrong with... Uh, he says he's, he transform our lowly bodies. There's nothing wrong with, with healthy living and healthy bodies. But... but if we are consumed with, he says, our, he describes our, our bodies here in, this, in these passages as lowly. If we are consumed with the lowly, guess what? We're never going to recognize higher things. Is it difficult for you to understand and see the work of the Spirit in your life, in other people's lives? Recognize it and identify it? If so, I would submit to you that that difficulty is probably due to the fact that we're tied up with the lowly. We're thinking lowly thoughts and focused on lowly things. When we start to see our citizenship is in heaven, our citizenship is tied to something eternal, tied to a relationship with Christ, our focus then becomes higher than here, higher than where we focused to this point. Now, that's a process of maturity, and I'm going to tell you, most believers don't get that, that salvation. They have to walk some, some, some mileage. They have to, to really probably go through, go through a hard place or two to realize, okay, that is my sustenance. He is the one who sustains me. He is the one who saved me, and he saved me for that. Not for this. He saved me for that glorified state, not for what I'm experiencing today. He saved me for glory, not for hardship and suffering. He saved me for praise and for adoration, not for cancer and for, for health issues and mental issues. And That's what I've been saved for. That's who I am. That's my identity. And we can see, when we see ourselves through the lens of belonging to him and living in that place and in that state, it's far easier, as I say, to look at life here an eternal lens already there. Now, is that hard to do? Yeah, it is. It comes with some mileage, as I said, and it comes from, with maturity. But when we can begin to see who we are and whose we are and where we belong, it'll give us a perspective like we've never had before. If we think, I'm, you know, if I walk through life thinking I'm George and June Parker's son, I am that. But if that's all I see walking through life, I'm going to miss the things God has for me. When I start to see myself as the son of the king, the scripture says an heir and co-heir with Christ. When I start to see myself through that lens, it totally changes my perspective on conversations, on relationships, on money, on time, on, on, on marriage, on everything. I start to see myself as a child of the king, as an heir, as a promised one, rather than 
fresh George and June sun, and this is the best I can do with what I've been given. You see, that outlook, that, that, that fresh approach, that refocus is spiritual, not physical. And it's spiritual by understanding, as I said, who we are, whose we are, and where we belong. We don't belong here. Why do you and I spend so much time trying to fit in here and make here work? You ever thought about it? We spend an enormous amount of effort and energy and money and time and talent and treasure here trying to make here work when we shouldn't fit in very well here. We should look, in fact, we should walk through life here being somewhat uncomfortable. You ever been in an uncomfortable place? You just want to get up and leave as quick as I can get. That's how we should feel here. And not that we are above here because he has placed us here to be salt and light in a dark and seasonless place. But we should never seek comfort here because comfort's not found here for you and I if we know Christ. What's, we can find some temporary comfort. You know, I think one of the greatest inventions in the world is remote control. I don't have to get up like my dad said, son, get up and go change the channel. <laughs> I think remote control is a great invention, but it's, it's, it's to my own physical comfort. It has no effect whatsoever on my, on my eternity. Do I enjoy it? Sure. But my comfort sinking here is nothing compared to my rightness and, and, and in the groove, more, more, more accurately put, there. That's what I'm designed for. And we'll see that. We'll understand that someday. If we can start to see that now, our perspective on, on folks, on things that matter, will change. And it, it will. Um, <clears throat> our identity is not found in an earthly, earthly family. <clears throat> it's not found in an earthly job. It's not found in an earthly accomplishment. It's not found here at all, our identity is it? Our identity is found with him. It's found in a Savior, a Savior from heaven where you and I belong, where bodies that are glorified in a glorified state will live and walk with him forever. We'll see the forever side of that next week, and it's really going to be neat. But that's where our identity lies. Heaven is an eternal home. Heaven is, is really what we were designed and wired for, not here. If you feel uncomfortable here, probably something's happening right in your life. The more discomfort you feel here, the more you long for there, the more you're start, going to start to see mm, this angst with the, that Paul wrote about, this, this angst that the, 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 the body is, is, has me in, in chains. It, it, it has me confined. The very thing I long to do, I don't do. I'm doing, I end up doing some of the things, the very things I hate. Why do, who will separate me, in essence? Who will deliver me from this flesh and this war between the flesh and the spirit? I'm designed to be spiritual, yet I'm confined to the flesh. And this war, this angst that you and I live with day after day is natural. So don't run from it. It's, it's a natural thing. That means the Spirit is at work in our life. And, 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 and this friction that, but with which you and I live to say, even so, come quickly. I, this life isn't working here. And I'm going to tell you, it's never designed to work here. Whoever told you that lied to you. It's never designed for a believer now. Uh, for an unbeliever, it's, it's, it's all bets are off. Because fate and chance and happenstance all work, and they're all important for an unbeliever. But for a believer who knows Christ, life is not designed for you to work here. The, the quicker you get that news and start, that starts to resonate in your heart, I'm not designed to fit in here. I'm not designed to find a comfortable place here. I'm not designed for all the strings to work and all the plates to spin and be kept in the air. That's not what I'm designed for. I'm designed for there. That state, that place where I was designed and created and longed, longed to be, that's where my identity lies. Hell was never intended for us. It's a place of torment. But heaven is an eternal home, and it's a place where our, 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 our identity lies and lives. Now, let me ask a 
a question here uh, as we close. Before I ask this question, I, I want to tell you afresh again. If, if, the, if, the, if, you've, if you've grown up with the concept that, that heaven and hell are mythical places, that they're just they're, they're states of being that's in someone's mind, I want to tell you the reality today that they're real places and they last for eternity. Hell is a real place and it's eternal and it's terrible and it's true and it's, it's totally avoidable. Why? Because God designed for us not to be there. He never created hell for us. It was designed for the devil and his angels. Heaven is the place that's designed for us. Heaven is the home that you and I are, are destined to be. Yet the link between those two places, between heaven and hell, we stand in this chasm. And the chasm in between stands Jesus. The chasm in between is the cross between heaven and hell. We saw here in this example in Luke where, where Lazarus lifted up his eyes and sees, sees the, the Lazarus in the, in the, in the or his his uh, in, in the bosom of Lazarus, and says, "Who will dip his water in uh, t- finger in water and cool my tongue? I'm in torment in this flame. I see you over there, and I long to be there, but I can't get there. My goodness won't take me there. Can you can you bring water from there, cool from there, to quench the heat here? And this chasm in between separates us because of our sin." The chasm in between heaven and hell is separated because of sin, not because of goodness, not because of works, not because of badness, not because of choices. It's separated by the fact that you and I are born into sin. We don't seek the sin, but we're born into sin. We don't have to... You ever, you ever wonder why you don't have to teach a kid to cry? Why are kids born unhappy? Why are babies in the womb born unhappy? Because they're moved from a comfortable place into a place of sin. They're moved from a comfortable place into a place that doesn't work anymore. It's not comfortable I'm in the womb of my mother. I'm getting everything I need. I'm comfortable. I'm fed. I'm warm. I'm, I'm, I'm nestled. I'm, I'm nurtured. And now here I'm brought into, into a cold place. People are handling me that I don't know. They're wiping things all over me to clean me up, to make me presentable to my parents. And I don't like any of this. And you don't have to teach a child to do the wrong thing. You ever discovered that? They do it on their own. You don't have to teach them wrong. You don't have to teach a, you don't have to teach a two-year-old to be selfish with their toys. They're selfish with their toys. You know why? Because we're born into sin. We don't seek it, we don't long for it, we don't chase it, but we're born there. And the only deliverance from sin is salvation. The only deliverance from hell is the person of Jesus into heaven. And so that chasm stands between heaven and hell today. And if that's you, I want to encourage you not to leave this place until you find Christ. If you know a believer here that you've come to church with, great, speak to them. If not, I'd be happy to share with you the simple plan of salvation, how how God made a way for you at the cross and how you're praying to receive him is the greatest decision you could ever make. <clears throat> having said that, the reality of heaven and hell should cause you not to live differently if we know him. It should cause you not to see life differently if we know him. Here's the question as we move today from here to there. Do you live each day, do you live each day in light of the reality of heaven and hell? If so, it's going to change some things. If so, it's going to be reflected in our attitudes, in our conversation, and in our priorities. If we live each day in light of the fact that heaven and hell are real places and they exist for eternity, if that's true, it's going to change some things around us, our attitudes, our conversations, our spirits, our priorities. They're going to change. Why? Because things matter and people matter and salvation matters and family matters and people we care about. We don't want them to experience the reality of that. And so we're, we're, we live with a greater sense of, of urgency and a greater sense of a burden for 
I've got a friend that's, boy, I don't think they know Christ. At least based on the conversation, that's the case. It's going to create a sense of urgency and step up, step up the sense of, 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 of importance for you to, to find out, to enter into a conversation with him. Do you know Christ? Do you know him as your Savior? Tell me about your faith experience. Tell me about your journey with Jesus. Tell me about your... And, and those, those conversations are going to happen more often. Why? Because we're living in a lot of the fact that hell and heaven are real places. And the, and the drastic difference between those two places, the chasm that separates, separates hell from... Not that oh, you guys are going to hell on this side and, and heaven this side. But, but the chasm that separates two, these, these two places is only found in Christ. It's only found in Christ. And, and the, the most important conversation you can have with him is a conversation about eternal things. We don't talk about eternal things much. We talk about Oklahoma and Tennessee. Or Tennessee in the high school they played last night. Or, or we, talk about, we talk about our work. Or we talk about what our kids are doing in school. Or we talk about, we don't talk about eternal things much, do we? If we live in light of the fact that heaven and hell are real, if we see that and live in light of, of that fact, it's going to change our conversation. It's going to change the way we think. It's going, to, it's going to make us a little more radical. It's going to make us a little more, hopefully a little more loving. But it's going to make us those far more... Um, intentional and pursuant to, to, to those around us to say, mm, I got to know, do you know Christ? The consequences of not are eternal and I've seen them. I've read them and they're true. Jesus said more about this than about heaven. So it was important to people know, don't go there. Don't experience that. It's a real place. The people around you, do your family and friends know Christ? Well, they need to. Do you need to this morning? If you don't, the consequences are severe. I want you to see that. I'm not trying to scare you into, well, maybe I am. There's nothing wrong with scaring you, uh, of scaring you into reality. And the reality is hell's a real place. And it's a place of torment. And I don't want you to experience that. And you shouldn't want people around you to either. So if you don't, come to know him today. If you do, let your conversation start to change. Let your priorities start to change to reflect that. The eternity of your friends and family may depend on it. The, eternal, the eternity of people around you that you love and care about may depend on it. Let's pray.